You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, hey, good morning. Man, like Pastor Ben says, it's my first time seeing you guys. And uh, Pastor Ben is just getting back from Florida. So I'm Pastor Bobby. I'm the worship and discipleship pastor. I'm typically over here playing guitar and singing. Um, but today, I get to share with you the word, and I'm excited. Oh, thank you guys. So I appreciate that. Um, for some of you guys, this is spring break, and you are choosing to end it here, and I think that's awesome. Um, but this morning, let's take some time and let's dive into God's word. So what are those words you never want to hear? They are the words that send shivers down one's spine. They are words of hopelessness, a moment of anticipation instantly shattered against the rocks of despair. You can feel your palms get sweaty and a lump starts to swell in your throat, and you can feel your heartbeat start to rise. The question is asked, and in breath-holding suspense, you wait until your worst fears are met. Is Pepsi okay? No! Ah! (sighs) If anything, if anything ruins a meal for me, it's having to settle for root beer or Dr. Pepper when Coke would have hit the spot. And I love the taste of Coca-Cola. Nothing beats sitting down to a steak or to a burger after a long, hard day at work and enjoying a little bit of God's glorious nectar. And I don't care that it can dissolve a nail or that it can be used to polish chrome because it tastes like heaven. And I'm sorry if you're a Pepsi fan here. But you know it's true. You never hear someone say, is Coke okay? And you want to know why? It's because Coca-Cola is always okay. It's never someone's second choice. So, is there anyone else that's like, yes, amen, preach it. I am a Coca-Cola fan as well. Can I get some hands? Sweet. Well, hey, I got some stuff for you guys. I hope it's all right. So, it's colder in that room, so I decided I would keep them chilled back there. So, I'm sorry for you guys. This is contraband, so you can't have any. But, anyone else? No, man. (laughs) My wife is also a Pepsi fan. I'm 100%. Does anyone want a Coca-Cola? I know it's 930. Barb and Mike Alinsky, I will give you a Coca-Cola right now. I hope this doesn't give me feedback. There you go, man. Anyone else? And let me tell you, these are made with real sugar. These were made in Mexico. These are pretty awesome. These are pretty expensive. Yeah, Brent Nordoff knows what I'm talking about. Shannon knows what I'm talking about. And it's in a bottle. bottle. (laughs) Oh, man. I was really wondering. I was like, man, I could really embarrass myself with this bottle opener. So, (laughs) anyways. Anyone else? I got three more. After service, if you want one, feel free. Oh, Joe. (laughs) I know we're taking time. This is pertinent, though. Very important. When can you say that you get to enjoy a nice cold bottle of Coca-Cola during church? I'm just saying. 
Awesome. I dropped the bottle cap. It's okay. Yeah, it's my offering. So, um, <laughs> anyways, but I just want you guys to know the phenomenal thing about Coke, above the taste, above the general aesthetic in the cool glass bottle, is Coca-Cola's reach. There are tribes, I don't know if you know this, but there are tribes millions of miles away, not millions of miles, but miles away from civilization in the farthest reaches of the world who have Coca-Cola, who have tasted Coca-Cola. And Coke's mission is simple. You've probably seen it on a, uh, on a can. It says that the whole world would be able to share a Coke. And if you've been tracking with us for our series this year, that is the mission that Jesus gave the early church, that Jesus came for everyone in all places, regardless of all their problems, and at no price. And our series this year, if you guys don't know, it's called A Church with Purpose. It was up on the screen earlier. And uh, this section we are focusing on is specifically called Finding the Purpose. And the whole year we'll be going through, or at least most of the year, we'll be going through the book of Acts. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's pretty straightforward. It, uh, straightforward. It's about the acts and the works of the early church and how a church went from being 120 men and women to the greatest movement that mankind ever met. The whole book is essentially summed up in one of the opening verses in Acts, Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This verse is so important to understand Acts. It's essentially breaking up the book into three parts, the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And today, uh, what's great is we get to focus on part two of the book. And if you would like, you can open up with me to Acts chapter eight. Uh, the gospel, the message of Jesus is starting to make waves. It's only been shared to one people group in one region at this point, but now the church is growing in popularity. And in our story today, we learn how Jesus is truly meant for all. So let's take a look this morning at our passage in Acts 8, and we will see five ways that Jesus is for all. We'll start at verse 4. We're going to be reading a lot, so brace yourselves. Uh, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out, came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man, Simon, had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Dear Jesus, we just thank you uh, for your scripture, for your word of God, that it is living and that it is an active word. And we just pray that it would just inspire us, that it would pierce our hearts today, uh, that it would challenge us, that it would make us uncomfortable if we need to be uncomfortable, that it would comfort us if we need peace this morning. And I just pray that you would just resound in our hearts what you have to speak for us today um, through your holy word. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in your name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we can learn from our text today is that Jesus um, needs to be in all places. The very opening section in verse 4 says that those who had been scattered spread Jesus wherever they went. The disciples, Jesus, uh, the disciples of Jesus were on the run because of persecution. The Jewish leaders, the early church, was spreading falsehoods about uh, Judaism. So these early Jewish leaders thought that Jesus was a false Messiah, and the heat was now turned up on the early church because of that. And if you were here two weeks ago, uh, you might have heard Pastor Ben tell the story of Stephen. Uh, he's the first person that was ever killed for spreading the good news about Jesus. So just let the weight of what happened to Stephen just moments ago in this story just sink in. That preaching the gospel now meant death. They weren't just getting harassed. They weren't just getting beaten, flogged. They were being martyred. But even though these believers were on the run, that didn't stop them from boldly sharing the same thing that Stephen got stoned for. Not only is this one of the first instances of the church spreading Jesus outside of the region, but it's an instance where the gospel is being shared outside of the temple. It's one thing for the church uh, to talk about Jesus in a religious setting, um, but um, now it's cool that they are going out into the marketplace and out into the world. I mean, how often do we forget that these four walls are not the only place that we can meet Jesus? Maybe some of you guys met Jesus for the first time here in our church, and I'm so glad that you did, because Jesus is pretty awesome. But at the same time, the same God who works in our hearts every Sunday, the same God that works in our hearts during worship or when Pastor Ben preaches, he can move through you at night when you're telling your kids a bedtime story. He can move through you at your job whenever a coworker shares with you some hard things that they're going through. God can work through you at lunch during maybe a Bible study or at soccer practice or basketball practice or football practice. God can even move in those weird times in the middle of an argument with your spouse. Jesus wasn't meant to be confined in a building. He wasn't only meant to be in our hearts, but Jesus was meant to be let out into the world. And so imagine that you could only get Coca-Cola at one restaurant, one restaurant in the whole world. I mean, it'd be awesome for that restaurant, but the world is now missing out on what Coca-Cola has to offer. Coke needs to be shared with the world, right? If you're drinking it, you're like, yes, amen, I'm drinking soda at 9.30 in the morning. See, we need to break the mindset that Jesus only matters on Sunday morning and that Jesus only lives in this sanctuary. Jesus needs to be in our homes, at our schools, and with us at work. Jesus is in all places. 
and we need to do whatever we can do to get the word out about him. So Jesus isn't only in all places, but Jesus is for all people. Like I said earlier, this passage marks a clear next chapter in the story of the early church. And um, if you know anything about the history between uh, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, it all makes sense. Have you ever heard um, the story or the phrase of someone being a good Samaritan? Well, I'm just being a good Samaritan, yeah? No, yeah? Okay, thank you. I'm like, whew, I thought maybe I was the only one here. So, um, But you might not know it. Um, some of you, if you haven't grown up in church or, or heard the sermon on it before, uh, but that phrase actually came from a story that Jesus told um, about this people group, about the Samaritans. And um, so that's your fun little word origin fact of the day. Um, this phrase, though, it was so powerful when Jesus first shared it because the Jewish people did not think that a good Samaritan actually existed. A good Samaritan to them was like an oxymoron. And so for some of you, it might be like saying that, you know, a nice Ohio State fan exists out there. Um, I don't know, maybe like me, who grew up in Ohio, who loves Ohio. You might be like, man, a nice Ohio State person exists, like their fans are real. Or maybe, um, it, for some of you, for me, it's like saying that there is such a thing as a sane Pepsi drinker. I don't believe it. I don't think they exist. But the same thing is true. A good Samaritan made no sense uh, to the Jewish people because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They were on the fringe of Judaism. The Samaritans had roots in the same faith. Uh, they read a lot of the same religious texts, and they followed a lot of the same rituals and rules, but the similarities stopped there. And many Jewish people actually called the Samaritans half-breeds uh, because they had a mixed heritage. But the main reason the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, because uh, it was because they were the biggest bandwagon fans ever. Um, when things went well for Judaism, the Samaritans were on their side. They were the same people. They're like, yay, hooray for us. We're doing awesome. But when times were tough, the Samaritans claimed to have nothing to do with them. They didn't even claim to have the same heritage. They're like, Jewish people, us, no, mutually exclusive. We don't know those guys. It's like not watching basketball all season, and then all of a sudden the final four comes around and you start rooting for U of M. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, that resonated with a lot of you. So. It's like taking advantage of all the perks of being an American and then all of a sudden claiming that you hate America. The early church knew that Jesus was meant for everyone, but they thought that it was going to take over the Jewish faith before it would spread. They weren't expecting how quick Jesus' message would break through their own people group. And so it's tough for us to understand because now how inclusive Christianity is today. I mean, how many Jewish Christians do you know? But at the same time, Christianity was only a movement within Judaism at the time. And with Christ fulfilling the law of Moses, they thought that the message first had to be shared with those who were under the law of Moses. But it's at this point of the story that the disciples are now finally realizing that Jesus is meant for all. And maybe you forgot Jesus is meant for everyone. He's for that one coworker that gets on your nerves. And Pastor Bruce is up here like, amen, amen. <laughs> Preach it, preach it. 
He's for that driver that cut you off on your way to pick your kids up from school. He's for the children who are in Connect Kids who are dealing with trauma at home. He's for the kid who's bullying your kid. He's for you. No matter what baggage you walked in with, no matter what happened on the car ride over here, he's for you and he's for me as well. It says in verse 14 that after the Samaritans believed in Jesus, that it was paramount that two of the apostles, Peter and John, followed up on the situation. And this passage is actually really, really highly contested um, because of this little section here. I actually told some friends that I was preaching this the week after Easter, and they verbally laughed in my face because they're like, why? Like, that's a tough scripture. And, um, and it's because that in verse 16 it says that the Samaritans believed in Jesus, um, but they didn't get immediately filled with the Spirit. So some people wonder why God waited to pour his Spirit out on the people in Samaria, but I think the answer is rather simple. It's because he wanted to wait for there to be people in authority there so that the church would remain in unity. For the Jewish Christians to hear that Samaritans are now believing in Jesus, it would have sent a shockwave through the whole movement. They would have been like, uh, fake news. It'd be hard for them to believe it because of how much they disliked the Samaritans. But now Peter and John, who are two dudes who actually walked with Jesus for years, they're there to put their seal of approval on the situation. They confirm the message that Philip already preached to them, that Jesus was for their worst enemies. That Jesus was for the bandwagon fans. And I can't believe I'm saying it, but Jesus is for the Pepsi drinkers as well. And I love this part too. It says in verse 12 that after the Samaritans believed Philip's message that both men and women were baptized. And I want to take a quick moment to talk about it. And um, it just might seem like another phrase, and maybe you've read this story a hundred times, and you've never thought about it before. But Luke, who wrote Acts, was very, very, very precise with his wording here. And it's in every translation of the Bible. That baptism, um, it's the sole initiation ritual of the Christian faith. And if you're a Christian and have yet to be baptized, please sign up in the lobby after service. Um, like Pastor Bruce said, um, we're having baptisms next week. Um, so yeah, next week, baptism, we good? You guys know? All right, good, just wanted to make sure. So be there. Um, but seriously, seriously, you don't want to miss it. Um, and if you feel like you're like, man, that's a long time from now. It's like 40 minutes away. I don't know if I'll remember to sign up for baptism. My, my email is on the cover of the bulletin. Email me right now. Pull out your phone. That's okay. I'm okay with it. Email me and let me know that you want to get baptized because it is that important. And I love hearing people share the stories of how God's changed their lives. And it doesn't matter if you've been serving here for years and just haven't gotten around to it, or maybe uh, this is your first or second Sunday and you're just accepting Jesus for the first time. Um, baptism is for you. And um, it's also one of my favorite days of the year, so that would just be awesome. So, um, but again, baptism is the outward appearance that you've chosen to follow Jesus. It's a powerfully symbolic way of saying that you are dead to your past and you're being raised to new life. 
Jesus. But before um, baptism, uh, get ready for this, the Jewish people actually had another symbolic ritual that marked the same kind of event for them. It was called circumcision. Um, Circumcision was an event in every uh, male child's life. Uh, There was a whole celebration centered around the movement on the eighth day of life. Um, It's the physical sign that separated Jewish men from the rest of the world, and I just want you guys to get that. Um, and, And again, there's a little problem about that, though. It's that circumcision was a ritual only for males, And it's a powerfully symbolic um, moment for a family, but it was only a ritual that half the family could participate in. And all the women are like, amen, thank God. And all the uncomfortable people are like, dude, cut it out. (laughs) Huh? Huh? All right, sorry, never mind. All right, but think about it. Think about it, for real. Baptism is different because baptism is for everyone. It's a ritual that has leveled the playing field. It has reversed the curse of Genesis, and it has fulfilled the law, the um, covenant that God made to Abraham. And we'll see in a few chapters, the church will sit down, and they come to a conclusion that circumcision doesn't matter any longer because the church now has Jesus and now has baptism. See, circumcision was only meant for Jews, and it was only meant for men. But here Luke is reminding the people that Jesus is for everyone. He's for both men and women from every nation on earth. And he is using baptism here as a reminder of that. And I just thought it was so cool, especially a week before baptism. It's kind of an echo of a sentiment that the Apostle Paul said in Galatians where he says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one now, Jews and Samaritans, men and women, and baptism was a clear sign of the gospel's inclusion of all. But the message isn't just for all, it's not just for everyone, but it's meant to be spread by all. It's meant to be spread by everyone. And if I read this passage and you were like, who the heck is this Philip guy? I've been coming every Sunday, every week, and I have never heard his name don't worry, I'm about to give you a little background on exactly who Philip is. Um, but first, I want to say who Philip was not. Philip was not one of the 12 disciples. He didn't walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Philip, as far as we know, wasn't in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. He wasn't a leader within the early church. Philip, until this moment, was only mentioned once in the entire Bible. Him along with Stephen and five others were commissioned to take care of widows in Acts 6, verse 5. And it was this guy, the guy who was said to wait on tables, who was the one to bring the gospel to a whole new people group. There was a need in the church, a need to take care of widows, and Philip stepped up to the task. And I'm sure like all of us, he thought that was it. You know, that's all that was expected of him. But just moments later, he is thrust out of the area into a new land with new people. He had a choice in that moment, lay idly by and do only what was expected of him or step up to the new challenge that lay before him. And no one was expecting Philip to reach the Samaritans. Like I said, I mean, the Jewish people didn't even think that the Samaritans were ready for the gospel. And if it was me, I would have just went home and ate Doritos and drank some Coke. But Philip knew that he must continue what Jesus had started in him. 
And maybe your story is similar. Uh, you thought, sure, I'll get plugged in and serve once a month, and now you're leading a ministry, uh, teaching every week, or maybe uh, you're serving in an area that months ago you didn't even know existed, and now you're leading it. And I just love to hear stories about that. God used Philip's time of serving where he was needed to train him to be used where God really wanted him. Isn't that awesome? God used Philip's time of serving where he was needed to train him to be used where God really wanted him. And there are so many stories like that here today. Um, we had a connect group that ended up having to be uh, disbanded earlier this year because of a basement remodeling, and there was uh, people in this group who are now without a leader or a place to meet. And in September, I'm sure Matt and Courtney Wyan, I'm sure they, uh, they didn't think that by January they would be leading a connect group of their own, being connect group leaders. Um, but now here they are, and they lead one of our highest attended groups um, and for real, they have so many kids at their groups that they have to have two babysitters there. Um, and I love it. And it's all because they answered the need and they stepped up to the plate whenever the need presented itself. There's another story where a few months ago um, in youth group, we were talking about needing another bass player for our youth worship team. And as a joke one week, Morgan Schlegel was like, oh, I'll learn how to play the bass. And I don't think she was expecting me to say, okay. Like, and she was like, What? And now, not only is she playing every week for youth, but she's also stepping up and she's playing once a month on Sunday mornings as well. And she literally learned by coming every week before worship practice began and just sitting down and running through all the songs with me. And I just think that's amazing. But for her, I think that time in summer where she was learning the bass, where she took that willingness to pick it up, um, it was her stepping up to fill a need like Philip. Now God is taking that willingness when she stepped up to fill that need, and he's using it in greater ways. And if you don't know uh, Morgan, who she is, she'll be playing bass next week. Uh, she's the young girl that plays bass at our church, so I hope that helps you out. Uh, she's the only one. Uh, but Morgan is also one of several leaders uh, who lead a group at our school called First Priority. And uh, this year, it was uh, she and uh, several other people, they, they stepped up and they took ownership of this group that meets and they talk about Jesus once a week during a lunch. And when I asked uh, him, Morgan's leader, Austin, said that she was doing a great job. Since Morgan and these students took ownership, stepped up, and started leading first priority, their group went from having about seven or eight kids to now having about 30 students a week. And I believe it was Morgan's original heart to learn and grow that helped propel her to where she is today. And if you don't know, First Priority is one of the ministries. Uh, it's one of the local organizations that we support here as a church. And it's because you guys give every week to missions. And so thank you. There are 30 kids that meet once a week, and they talk about Jesus at Fruitport because of you guys. I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of Matt and Courtney and for so many others who've seen a need and they've stepped up to the plate. God is using moments like this to stretch us, to teach us, and to equip us to spread his love to the world. We, like Philip, may only have signed up to wait on tables, but now God is using us where we were truly meant to be. I want, not, I want this not only to be Matt and Courtney's story, I don't want this just to be Morgan's story. I want this to be all of our stories.
The craziest thing about this story in Acts, it comes at the end of this section. It says in verse 25 that after they, um, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Peter and John, the leaders of the early church who walked with Jesus, they learned and they were inspired by Philip's action of sharing the gospel with the Samaritans. They were encouraged by his actions and they followed after him. They didn't get mad that he did something without first asking their permission. And Philip didn't wait for the leaders of the church to do something that he was more readily available to do. I want you to see that you have the power to make a difference in this community. You have the power to make our church great. In fact, the staff can't do it alone, and Pastor Ben just talked about it a few weeks ago. Me, him, Bruce, Rachel, we need you. Philip stepped up and reached the Samaritans, and it inspired his leaders. It inspired Peter and John to do the same. And when you step up, when you take action, I want you to know that it inspires us the same way. Um, ben, who I said did an awesome job at worship this morning, um, he texted me on Thursday that he wanted to do something a little different with worship rehearsal. And uh, we normally spend about 20 minutes talking about life and just kind of having a small group together, maybe uh, pray together, hear if there's any needs. Um, but Ben wanted to take a moment uh, just before we rehearse and just worship um, and just praise God. So we took the first 10 or 15 minutes and just, and just praised and just worshiped. And as I was sitting, I was sitting in the back row in the center, um, just worshiping and praising God to a YouTube channel. Um, I just realized how I really needed that moment. Um, I think sometimes, especially around Easter and those busy seasons, that we get so caught up um, as pastors and everyone else's hurts, their pains and their problems and their illnesses and their spiritual needs, um, that sometimes we forget to feed ourselves. Sometimes we take a moment, uh, we forget to take a moment and think about our own needs. But God spoke to me clearly on Thursday night and reminded me to find time myself just to be with him. And I'm so thankful for Ben uh, that I listened to the Holy Spirit um, and changed up rehearsal. I felt like God did it just for me. And I love Ben's passion and his heart for worship, and it pushes me not only to be a better leader, but to be a better Christian as well. And I want you guys to know, if you think people don't see you going the extra mile. They do. They see it. Your kids see the sacrifice you make when you get up early to read your Bible. They see how you handle yourself in a car when people drive like crazy. Your coworkers see how hard of a worker you are and how you handle conflict. People see when you step up and introduce yourself to a new family at church. There is love that happens when we warmly receive kids and connect kids. One person I haven't mentioned yet in this story um, is this one of the central characters. It's a guy named Simon. Uh, Simon, if you guys don't know, a very popular name, was a sorcerer. Um, but he just wasn't just a sorcerer. In verse 10, uh, Simon called him the great power of God. He saw himself as someone who is divine. He was selfish and greedy, and his behavior stands in a stark contrast to Philip. Where Philip pointed the glory to Jesus, Philip instead 
falsely claimed that he was great in and of himself. Because Simon literally had the guy complex. And putting Philip and Simon now next to each other in this story, you can see clearly how Simon, the sorcerer, falls short. People saw Philip's miracles. They saw that he was healing people, ridding them of impure spirits, causing the lame and the paralyzed to have wholeness. But even more than that, he didn't do it out of selfish ambition, but to show how God's kingdom has come to earth. And at that moment, people saw who Philip really was. They saw who Jesus was, but they also, at that moment, saw who Simon was as well. Philip showed them the glory of Coca-Cola, and they couldn't stand for Simon's Pepsi any longer. Your kids will see you when you sacrifice your time to be in God's word. They'll see how you're serving and being part of the community and something greater than yourself. But they'll also see when you're selfish with your time. They'll see when you're stingy or greedy. They'll see how you deflect taking ownership of things and put the blame on others. Your family will notice when you prioritize work over them or even when you prioritize them over God. Your coworkers will question your character when you cut corners and when you take extra time for your lunch break. They will see you and they'll see who you really are. Or even worse, they'll think that's who Jesus is. Think about it. You have greater influence than you realize. You are a leader whether you realize it or not. So who are you leading and where are you leading them? Jesus is for all people, and he was meant to be shared by all people, even by me and you. And Jesus is also greater than all of our problems. Whatever problem you face, Jesus is on your side. He's fighting for you, and that's seen in this story. Like I mentioned earlier, the Samaritans followed many of the same rules that the Jewish people did. And one of these rules was actually to condemn sorcery in all forms of magic. In Exodus, it even says that the punishment for sorcery was death. And yet, here's a group of Samaritans following some guy named Simon the Sorcerer. So um, I think they must have skipped over that part of the Bible. But these people, like all of us, they were sinners, and the message still needed to be shared to them. Despite all their problems, all their difficulties, Jesus was for them. We may have to still pay earthly consequences for our past actions, but our past doesn't matter in God's eyes. Our past doesn't follow us into heaven. How amazing is that? The fact that these Samaritans followed a sorcerer meant nothing once they saw the miraculous signs of Philip and heard the message of Jesus. Everyone in this story, everyone had a problem of some kind. But what becomes evident by the end of this story is that Jesus mattered more than their problems. And he was with them. Do we see other people the way that Philip saw the Samaritans? Or do we expect people to walk in a church with their lives together? Church is the place that helps people get their lives together. We, like Philip, need to see people as people not as problems. We need to be willing to accept everyone with open arms regardless of what their lives looked like before they walked in the door. 
And maybe you're here and you're thinking, so do we just tolerate sin? Do we just let people do whatever they want? No, not at all. When we condemn the world, we need to be careful that we are not condemning the people in the world as well. This leads us to the last point and the last part of the story. This is the part of the story we haven't looked at yet. If you want to open back up to Acts 8, we learn that Jesus came at no price. And so we'll start at verse 18. It says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may give you, um, that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. In verse 20, Peter said, May your money perish with you. But I like what the contemporary English version says. It's a little more blunt about what Peter is actually trying to say. It says, You and your money will both end up in hell if you think you can buy God's gift. I don't think Peter's worried about hurting feelings here. How about you guys? And don't you wish life made sense sometimes? Simon thinks that since he charges people to do miraculous signs and magic tricks, that he can offer money to have one of God's gifts. And I think we do the same in life. We get our wife flowers, and, you know, the first time she gets them, she loves them, and then she does it again, and, or, and then we do it again, and she's like, yeah, okay, flowers. And for me, on Friday, you know, I, it happened whenever we were going bowling. I felt like I threw the ball the same way every time. And let me tell you, it does not go straight. I think there is a problem with the lanes there. You know, we raise our kids one way, and yet one is one place in life, and yet someone else is, the other kid is still trying to figure it out. But life can't be figured out, and neither can God. We think that God worked one way in the past, and so we try to create moments and recreate them. When God is trying to give us new experiences, we need to remember that God is in control. God can do whatever he wants. Philip thought the Samaritans would get filled with the Holy Spirit, but then Peter and John had to come in. The early church didn't think that the Samaritans were ready for the gospel, but here they were getting filled with the Spirit. And Simon thought that God's gift could be bought, but it showed that he had no clue who Jesus really was. And what scares me about Simon is that his story sounds so much like our own says that first Simon heard Philip's message, then he saw the miracles he performed. And because of that, he believed in his heart what Philip spoke. And even after this, in verse uh, 13, it says that Simon was baptized and then followed Philip. Doesn't that sound like our faith journey? 
We make this decision to accept Jesus. But what are we doing to follow him daily? We get on these emotional highs. We have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But what do we do when we're in a drought? What do we do when we're at a low point? What do we do when we're confronted with our sins? Our faith journey, like Simon, may look like it's authentic, but will it stand the test of time? Are we truly repentant, or is our response like Simon's response to Peter? Verse 24, Simon says, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon's not repentant. Simon is scared to death. He isn't sad or upset. He's fearful that God is going to punish him. How do we respond when we're faced with the same thing? What do we do when our family or friends hold us accountable? How do we feel when something Pastor Ben says pierces our heart? Do we write it off? Do we explain it away? Do we say it was for someone else? Or like Simon, do we only worry about getting caught or getting in trouble? We need to remember that our sins cost Jesus everything. But our salvation, our deliverance, our forgiveness, though it costs Jesus everything, costs us nothing. We need to accept what Jesus has done for us. We need to follow after him. People walk through these doors. They walk through these doors every week because they're looking for something. They have questions that need answers, and we have the answer. Our purpose isn't to tell people their problems because they know their problems. Our purpose is to show people the answer, that Jesus loved them, that he died for them, that we can have freedom and healing and wholeness through his resurrection power. In John 10, Jesus said, I have come that what? That they may have life and have it to the full. Life is possible for all of us, and life is possible for you too if you accept Jesus. Jesus is in all places, he's for all people, and he needs to be shared by all people. He is working through all of our problems, and he comes at no price. So how do we respond? What does this mean for us? Let's take a moment. Let's go back to soda, or as you guys like to call it here in Michigan, let's go back to pop. Let's talk about pop. (laughs) What if you knew the top secret recipe to Coca-Cola? Wait, not just Coca-Cola. What if you knew the top secret recipe to Coca-Cola Classic? What if you had the capability to share the most delicious soda with the whole world? The power of unlimited joy and deliciousness is at your fingertips. Would you share it? Or would you keep it to yourself? Well, I know I've been hyping up Coca-Cola. I know. Shameless plug. But we have something even greater than that. We have Jesus. And every time you take a drink of soda, let it be a reminder to share the story of the powerful work of Jesus. Remember, we have Jesus, and he needs to be shared.
So I want to ask you, who are you in this story? Are you like the Samaritans in hearing the message of Jesus for the first time? Do you feel broken? Are you looking for something? Have you been wandering aimlessly, looking for purpose? Maybe you have heard the message of Jesus hundreds of times, but right now in this moment, today during worship, you get it. You might not be serving a sorcerer named Simon, but you may be a slave to addiction. You may be a slave to your job. You may be a slave to the hurts of your past, bowing down to the God of bitterness. The work and fulfillment that comes from Jesus is much more than what we can get out of the world. And in a moment, you will have an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You may be like the Samaritans, or maybe you're like Simon, a sorcerer. Maybe you've accepted Jesus. You might talk the talk, but you haven't figured out exactly how to walk the walk. Maybe your story is at a cliffhanger moment, like Simon's is, and you aren't sure what tomorrow will hold. And that's scary because we don't know how Simon ever responded when he was confronted with his sin. We don't know today where he stands in eternity just think about that maybe like him you like the idea of serving christ but you either don't get what it truly means or you don't actually want to do it i want to encourage you to do the same thing that peter told simon to do repent you and your selfishness you and your bitterness you and your sin, you and your silver are in danger of going to hell. Fill in the blank. We need to seek God's forgiveness every day and thank Jesus for the forgiveness that came through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. Now maybe you aren't the Samaritans, maybe you aren't Simon, but maybe you're one of the saints. Maybe Philip's story resonated with you. You've been sitting on the sidelines, you want to get more involved, but you don't know how. Or maybe God has been using you and stretching you. Share your story. Continue to share the good news. Be that inspiration to those of us who may feel tired or beat down or broken. Be a leader and keep reaching one more. Maybe you're Philip or maybe you're Peter and John and you need to be inspired. You've forgotten what being a Christian is all about. You heard those stories of Matt and Courtney stepping up, of Morgan stepping up, and it reminded you of what it really means to be a Christian. Every week here, every week here is an opportunity for someone to find and follow Jesus. Every moment of your life is an opportunity for someone to find and follow Jesus. This is not just another Sunday morning. The same risen Savior who we celebrated a week ago for Easter. He's still alive. Guess what? Ta-da, he's alive. He's still <laughs> risen, amen? And maybe you need that inspiration again. And I've been all these people. I went to church for a year, for a whole year, before I truly understood what following Jesus meant. I didn't get how I was a sinner and I needed saving. And it took me breaking into a house and getting arrested getting put on probation to realize how much I needed Jesus in my life. 
I've been Simon. I've gotten my priorities out of whack. I've hurt others. I've been blunt. I've been selfish and rude. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you're like, yeah, we know. (laughs) But know this, I'm trying to rid that person from me. And this week, I was needing a fresh awakening like Peter and John. God needed to remind me to take a moment and rest in him. It was so good to be able to take 10 minutes before worship rehearsal on Thursday night and just rest and be with him. Jesus is, all, uh, Jesus is for me. He's always been for me. He is for you. Not only that, but he is for the world too. He's for your neighbor. He's for your son and your daughter. He's for your coworker. He's for your aunt and uncle. He's for that person in the Congo who you'll never see again or never meet. We need to embrace that Jesus is for all of us because there is a world out there that needs to see that Jesus is for them too. Whoever you are in this story, know this. Jesus is for you. He wants to be there, celebrate your wins. He's there with you at your worst. Whether you feel him or not, all he is asking is for you to accept his free gift of grace today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you. You are our Savior. You are our God. And Jesus, I don't want to assume to know people's stories here. I don't know uh, where they came from. I don't know um, what happened when they saw their family last week for Easter and the arguments that ensued or the pain or the hurt that happened, Jesus. But we thank you that you are Lord of all, that you are in all places, that you are for all of us, that you need to be spread by us, that you are for all of our problems. Jesus, we thank you that you come at no price, that you are offering us this free gift of grace. And all we have to do is open up our hands to accept it this morning. Jesus, we thank you. And with every uh, head bowed and all, every eye closed, maybe maybe the Samaritan story re- uh, resonated with you. Or maybe Simon's story resonated with you. You want to accept Jesus either for the first time or recommit your life to him today. If that's you. I just want to ask that you just lift up your hands. We want to pray for you today. We won't call you out or embarrass you. Anyone? Maybe you're not the Samaritans. Maybe you're not Simon. But maybe one of those stories resonated with you, that you need to step up, that you need to be challenged, that you um, have been sitting on the sidelines for too long, and that God is trying to nudge you to be part of something greater, that God is challenging you um, to share his gospel, that God um, is trying to speak to you this morning. If you just feel that nudge, if you... Um, want to take up that mantle, if you want to strive, um, yeah, in the same way, will you just raise your hands this morning and say, that's me. I need to be challenged. I need to grow this morning. Yeah. Yes, Jesus, thank you. You can put your hands down. Jesus, we just thank you that your blood covers all of our sins.
that all of our needs are met by you. That whether we come in dry or broken, whether we feel down and out, God, put people in our lives to inspire us. Put people in our lives to challenge us. Give us opportunities to share your love and to share your gospel with everyone around us. God, all of us, you're calling all of us to be leaders. Show us who we're leading, but also guide us where we need to take them. Inspire us this morning. Jesus, if we need to repent, we repent for what we've done, for the sins in our lives, for the selfishness that we have, for the time that we stay idly by whenever we could be sharing your love or your grace to someone in need. For every opportunity we miss. Jesus, just be with us today. God, and I just pray that above everything, that this wouldn't just be an emotional response, God, but that you would help us, that you would give us feet to walk out today. That every time we drink Coca-Cola, it would be a reminder that you need to be shared with the world. You need to be lived out at home whenever we're drinking over um, our dinner table. You need to be at the restaurant as we pray for our meal, as we show love to our server. Jesus, be with us today. Inspire us and give you all the praise and glory and honor. Lord Jesus, I just pray that we will go in grace today, that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that you will be all around us. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor in your awesome and your mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. All the time. Well, hey, stand up, greet a few people, and may you go in the grace of God this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.